Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. This is the second time I'm recording this because I'm a transparent loser who can't just uh, f- cover up his mistakes. I have to admit when, I'm, when I've done something wrong. So I just did this a minute ago, uh, but it wasn't recording. So here we are again, and I'm letting you in on my shame. <laughs> Filling in for the <laughs> ailing Chris McShane tonight is my friend and yours, co-host of A Pot of Their Own, Allison McCaig. Hello, Allison. I'm sorry for making you do this introduction again. Hello, Brian. That's okay. You know what? We live and we learn. It's all good. Yeah. So it's been an interesting few weeks to be a Mets fan. I mean, it's been an interesting lifetime to be a Mets fan, but this, <laughs> you know, this, the start of the new year has especially been uh, interesting. You know, we had a manager and then we didn't. We were going to have a new owner and now we don't. And so among the Carlos Beltran, Luis Rojas, uh, Steve Cohen, Will Pond's disaster, which of it damaged your soul the most, Allison? Um, 
I would have to say probably the Carlos Beltran stuff is more upsetting. I mean, it's all very bad. Um, I mean, it, it makes me think of that tweet that everyone knows. That's like the goal. The main goal is to not be the main character of Twitter. Like there's yes. one main character of Twitter every <laughs> yes. day and your goal is to not be it. And I feel like the Mets, I mean, I guess the Astros a little more, but I feel like this off season, the Mets have been the main character of Twitter. And like, when are they not? And it's like, I'm just sick to death of it. So like that encompasses everything. But I think that Carlos Beltran is worse because um, with the Steve Cohen stuff, it's more like, A, I'm not upset necessarily that like ultra billionaire ghoul Steve Cohen is not going to swoop in and save the Mets. I'm not sure how much of a difference it would have made. It's more like a symbolic thing of how bad the Wilpons are. And we kind of already knew that. It's just like ramping it up to level 11. Mm -hmm. But the Carlos Beltran stuff... Ken Lavin of Amazing Avenue of our prospect team, he put it best. He called it a drive-by Metzing. And I think that that is a perfect description of the Carlos Beltran situation and why it's more soul-crushing to me. Because like the Mets didn't actually really do anything wrong. They just kind of stumbled ass backwards into the sign-stealing scandal and lost their manager because of it. Um, and like, I love Carlos with my whole heart and like desperately wanted the like Carlos Beltran redemption story arc. And now we're never going to get it. So that being ripped from me was probably more soul crushing than, you know, some billionaire. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think it's, you, you have to talk about, you know, what sort of heartbreak we're talking about here, because yeah. on one hand, I think that even if Carlos Beltran was the greatest manager in Mets history, and manage the team for longer than anyone else in Mets history, he would still likely lose his job before the Mets have another set of owners if Cohen had bought the team. Like, if Cohen yeah. had bought the team, he would be the owner long after Beltran was no longer a Met anymore. And so, in terms of long-term effects, I think the Cohen thing stings but like you said, I mean, Cohen seems like a pretty shady dude, as, you know, to be fair, most billionaires are. Sorry to any billionaire listeners. If any billionaire listens to this, I'm not talking about you. Um, <laughs> I'm probably talking about you. Um, Is Mike Bloomberg listening to this yes, right now? Exactly. Um, you know, so I, I don't necessarily think that he would have been a moral victory over the Bullpons, but I think that he would have at least been the type of evil billionaire to spend money on this team which if you're going to take an evil billionaire as your owner that's the kind of evil billionaire you want i suppose um you know the Wilpons. i know a lot of people including some friends of ours have said that the Wilpons, for all their problems they just want to win like they'll do anything to win and i can respect that to a certain degree but i also think that they just are the best thing that Wilpons could do to win would be to step out of the baseball business. Even if they were owners, they could be hands-off passive owners, but they'll never yeah. do that, you know? Okay. And so they're too dumb to recognize the best thing they could do is to not be involved. And so, yes, I would have liked to have seen someone else in there, but I don't think that's necessarily, um, necessarily heartbreaking that it's not going to be this billionaire. Yeah. What I will say about the Beltron situation is that like Ken said, you know, a, a drive-by Metzing in where the Mets for once did not do anything wrong. I've seen some people 
very critical of the Mets not, I guess, grilling Beltron more during his interview, but I don't think you can really get mad at the Mets for that. Yeah, I don't think so either. I I think it's more like given given Brody Van Wagenen's relationship to AJ Hinch and Carlos Beltran's obviously strong relationship to the Astros, you have to wonder why like AJ Hinch or somebody from the Astros didn't like text Beltran like, "Hey, you know, this story's going to come out. The reporters have been sniffing around and asking questions cuz like the story broke like 2 days after the Mets hired Beltran or something yep. like that." So like if you want to give the Mets the most benefit of the doubt and say that they didn't know, like why exactly did they not know? And like, it's not so much like, well, they really should have grilled Carlos Beltran. It's more like, why didn't like Brody Van Wagen and ask his friend AJ Hinch about it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's definitely a part of it. Uh, that is, that is odd. But I also think that even if you, even if you think that the Mets didn't do their due diligence during the interview process, which I guess is, is a is a take you can have. I think the Mets handled the dismissal or the the whole scenario really really well, you know. And, and I don't say that lightly as a Mets fan, but they they didn't necessarily throw him under the bus, which I feel like the Wilpons had to be probably physically restrained from not doing. Because that is what they live for, is throwing Carlos Beltran right. under the bus. Uh, but then they're under the bus. They didn't say it was unfair. They didn't really bitch and moan too much. They sort of took their lumps and moved on with a modicum of grace. And that's far more than I thought I would say about the way the Wilpons handle any situation. Um, and so I think just in terms of like the soul-crushingness of it, I think it's just the combination of both things happening at once. Yes. <laughs> You know, it's just like, oh, we may have nice things in the future. Oh, we may have nice things this year. Nope, neither's going to work we, out. We never get nice things. No. It's like, I, yeah, I just, and the whole, like, it, it. you were talking about how, like, yeah, there's there's the argument of some folks that the Wilpons at least care and seemingly care and want to win. Um, which is better than a lot of other baseball owners. And I, I'll agree with that to a large extent, but it's like there are they're the other end of the extreme. Like, can't you have a nice, happy medium of an owner who cares but understands that they're not the smartest guy in the room here and that they actually leave the baseball operations to the baseball operations people? Like, like we either get owners who, like completely don't care and want to cost cut all the time and like McKinsey, their baseball team, or you get the will ponds who like don't necessarily believe in tanking probably, but also believe in micromanaging everything. Yeah. Which is what got them into this mess with Cohen because the reason Cohen backed out of the deal is because the will ponds wanted to retain control of the team and just use his money. It's like, wh what makes you think anyone would agree to that? Like <laughs> so here is the point that I wanted that came out today that I would like to pick your brain about a little bit, which was that it said that the Mets will now hold a more what is what it, it was tweeted by by John Heyman. It's like an auction but style. He said a more um, a more typical auction. I can't imagine an auction 
giving the Wilpons control. Right. This seemed like, all right, we're not going to go to auction. We're going to give you maybe a better price than you would have gotten at auction, but we want to control the team for five years. Yeah. And so I can't see that being a, a condition of an auctioned sale. I can't either. Otherwise, no one would like be buying. Right, exactly. Bidding, rather, I guess. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say was from this Heyman tweet, he said, also, after what happened here, belief is that Steve Cohen, despite his reported $13 billion, will have trouble ever buying any team. That even, makes no sense to me. Yeah, unless something happened on the Cohen side, not to coincide, the Cohen <laughs> space side uh, of the deal that we're not aware of. Um, it's just, it seems very odd to me. And like Andy Martino also tweeted like Cohen made no friends in the league with this. And I'm just like, I don't know. To me, this is just like these guys just like openly shilling for the will ponds. And it's just like kind of gross to me. Like, can you not? Everyone knows that like, like you're trying to pin this on Steve Cohen when we all know it's because the will ponds are like snakes. Like I, God, like, I don't know. That's just blatant media shilling to me. Um, maybe I, I, maybe they may, they may know something I don't cause obviously they're well sourced and I'm not, but like, I don't see how Cohen is the guy that loses credibility here. Yeah. I, except with I owners, agree. I guess owners protect other owners. And so like Manfred's going to shill for the will ponds because that's literally his job as commissioner and other owners are going to protect other owners. And so like. I don't know, Cohen tried to like invade their club and like made one of them mad. So now in solidarity, the rest of them are going to be mad. But like, I don't see, I just don't see how that's the case. I don't know. I, I agree with you. It, it seems very odd to me. Um, but you know, who knows? <laughs> who knows what this insanity is going to, uh, is going to bring. But let's, let's talk about something a little bit more hopeful which is the pending start of spring training. Pitchers and catchers will be reporting a week from today, I guess, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it is a week from today. Some, some, yeah, somewhere in, in this ballpark. And um, that is that is certainly good news. Just sort of in general, how do you feel about the Mets this offseason? Do you think that they've addressed enough of the issues that the team had? Or do you feel like there's <laughs> going to be a... Uh, a, a, a reckoning over what wasn't done. I feel like they did the usual Mets thing, which is that they went like two thirds of the way there, <laughs> 75% of the way there and like not all the way there. And like they let Zach Wheeler. Yeah. They signed like two starting pitchers, but they let Zach Wheeler walk and neither starting pitcher that they signed is as good as him. Right. So like, yeah, the starting rotation might be like slightly deeper than last year, but it's not, better and yeah they didn't address all the things that i would have liked to have seen them address backup catcher being like a glaring one and the bullpen like they did some stuff but i don't think they went far enough with it um i would have liked to have seen like at least one more reliever and a a, a way better backup catcher bare minimum somewhere renee rivera is crying yeah i'm sorry renee that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's about right. I think that 
there is a very real chance that the Mets have the best bullpen in the National League East. Sure. And possibly yeah. the National League, period, uh, if if things tend to go their way. And I think that will go a long way towards fixing some of the problems from last season. I also think that Pete Alonso probably won't hit 53 home runs next season. And so, you know, <sighs> there's going to be some regression to the mean from both the positives and the negatives of the 2019 season. But I think that the Mets have a fair shot at being competitive in the division. I don't know if they're going to run away with it. I don't know if there is going to be a wild card chase in the future. But, you know, I think that in general, the team looks okay. There is not a... There is not any hole as glaring as the bullpen was last year. Yes, that's probably true. So I feel okay about that. Um, But we've been doing something on Amazing Avenue called One Last Move, where we've been asking folks to talk about what they would do for one sort of smallish move to help the Mets uh, contend more in 2020. Uh, mine is not up yet, but I am writing about the Mets going after Taiwan Walker, uh, mm-hmm. who, who I think they get for a song. And if he works out, great. And if not, it's going to cost them so little. Who cares? Yep. Um, you wrote about Russell Martin. Yes, as a, I did. A backup catching option, which is consistent with what you said before. Yes. Uh, our friend Michael wrote about Colin McHugh. Linda wrote about Wilmer Flores. And then he was signed to a multi-year deal by the Giants. Good for Wilmer. Yes, good for Wilmer. Uh, we will always be there for him because he was there for us. Exactly. Or something like that. Um, Lucas wrote about Scooter Jeanette. Uh, by the time you guys hear this, uh, Rich's profile of Derek Dietrich might be up. Uh, Danny Salazar was written about by Jack. Uh, Rob will be writing about Yasiel Puig soon. And Tommy Hunter was written about by Chris. So that's a, that's a pretty interesting collection of folks. Um Obviously, you wrote about Martin, so you can defend that choice stronger. But overall, do, do any of these names jump out at you as an intriguing player you would like to see the Mets go after? I mean, I would say McHugh is probably the best pitcher still available. Um, so I would I would love to see that. I don't expect it, but I would love to see it. I think that that's, that would be an excellent choice. Um, obviously, former Met. Um, and a guy that can provide like a depth in the bullpen and the rotation can be sort of a swing man if you need him to be, even though he's probably much more well-suited to a bullpen role. Um, But we have the two other guys who um, are competing for that fifth rotation spot, but you can never have enough starting pitching depth and the Mets have very little in the way of reinforcements at triple a in that position. So um, I think that other than Russell Martin, I'm biased there. Um, I think Colin McHugh is probably the best, the name that sticks out to me among that crop of people. Yeah, I mean, McHugh was who I wanted to write about, and then Michael came in and snagged it. and so Stole it from you. Yeah, but that's all right. I'm most glad somebody wrote about him. Um, oh, oh, we forgot to mention, too, our, our friend Vass wrote about Brock Holt. I forgot to mention Ah, Brock yes. Holt. Um which I, you could probably get for an who you could probably get for an NRI. Like that's the thing is like y- there's some of these guys like McHugh and probably Russell Martin and others. Like you you'd have to sign them to a major league contract, but Brock Holt you might be able to get him on a minor league deal. 
these are like easy things they could do. I mean, and I know he's had a rough couple of years, but did you see that Felix Hernandez signed a minor league deal with the Braves? Did he really? Yes. I didn't see that. Yeah. You know, so these these things happen. This isn't just armchair WFAN listener guy. Like, these deals do happen. I, I think you know, Taiwan Walker might take a major league deal, but he might he might he might work for a minor league one. You you can't hurt. They can't hurt. And my whole thing is that last year, right about this time, the Mets went out and they signed Rajay Davis and um uh Carlos uh Gomez Luis Avilon. Luis Avilon. There were a bunch Pitched of signings. many innings. Yes. But a bunch of them were outfielders because the Mets outfield was totally an unknown factor last yes. season. And so they went out and they picked up all these veteran outfielders and stashed them all in AAA. And while none of them wound up being the solution, all of them were relatively useful to the team at one point or another. And then because they were signed to minor league deals – uh, they were re- relatively easily dispatched when no longer useful for the team. Right. And I feel like the Mets need to do that more with pitching. Yes, absolutely. Which they did bring in Erasmo Ramirez, so there's yes, that. they did. Um. Yeah. When, who else did they NRI? I think that might be the only pitcher they NRI'd. Well, they picked up uh, at the beginning of the offseason, they picked up Steven Gonzalez off waivers. Uh-huh. So he also exists now. But like that's more of like triple A depth rather than a guy you'd want pitching a lot of innings at this point. But it's something. Sure. Um, I, they NRI'd uh, Eduardo Nunez. He's not a pitcher, but I, I think that there is a strong chance Eduardo Nunez makes the opening day roster. <laughs> Yeah, I think you can almost pencil that in right now. Actually. Yep. <laughs> uh, just just because there there's a couple of reasons for that, but y- yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I I think that any of these moves would be quality ones for the Mets, and at this point, especially, I mean, the Dodgers were always one of the top couple of teams in the National League the last few years, but yeah. after getting Mookie Betts, I guess it's not official yet. Assuming that it works out with Mookie Betts, the Dodgers are clearly now a cut above in the National League. And yeah, so you need sure. you need to do all you can to get into the playoffs because one you know I just I don't see I don't see an easy path for anybody through the Dodgers, but you never know in playoff baseball. You you sure. just you just you just never know. And you know, bets to the Mets I love that rhyme. W- was never really discussed, but people sort of dreamed on it. And there were a number of deals this offseason that the Mets were linked to that never really happened. And so because you the only real money you spent this year was was on Batances, and because you are saving money on Carlos Beltran's contract probably, right? Or did they still have to pay him? Uh no, they're not paying him and That's, that saves them like 2 million, 3 million dollars. Yeah. And you know, I know they have to pay Rojas now, but Rojas is not going to be making that much, much no. that much money. Um, and you're saving so much money on the Cespedes renegotiation of his contract. If you're not going to go sign one big player, sign 15 small ones right now. Give your yeah, team seriously. Some, give your team some real depth. It drives me crazy how little depth the Mets seem to care about at any and all times. Yeah, it's. It's kind of mind-boggling because these are like 
no-brainer moves that they just don't do. And it's like, come on, man. Like, it's not that hard. And I think and for the, a lot of these guys, coming off an injury or coming off a uh, a down year, you'll take a chance on a team that has Jacob deGrom, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto, Noah Syndergaard, uh, you know, Edwin Diaz and Del- and Batances. Like, if you look at that team, sure, there is a strong core of a team there. Yeah, definitely. You know, roll the dice with them. Yeah, why not? I mean, I, they're the Mets, but they're the Mets. Yeah, counterpoint. They're the Mets is yeah. always a solid counterpoint. But yeah, no, the, the the Mets always seem to fail on depth, and then they like, and being as injury prone as they are, then they act shocked that they like have to emergency trade for whatever other team's version of this is. And you're like, you could have just done this in the off season. Um, like, Oh my God, why am I blanking? What pitcher did they trade for from like the Rays, who ended up pitching like way more than he should have. And then they got rid of him and he went to the blue Jays and was actually okay. Last season. Oh, Oh Yeah. It's going to bother me, so I'm going to look it up because, of course, I am. But anyway, we can keep talking while I do that. But, like, I I definitely know. Like, they freaking do that stuff all the time. Right, yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So before we go our separate ways tonight, let's just talk quickly about the rest of the National League East. Last year. Wilmer Font. Yes. Thank you. Um, Which one? Which one of the teams in the National League East do you think improved the most this offseason? The answer could be the Mets. In theory, it could be the Mets. That's true. Because the the Braves didn't... I still think it's the Braves, but by by a slim margin. But I think it's the Braves. Even though I know that they lost out on like the Donaldson uh, sweepstakes, but they did sign Marcelo Zuna instead. So, like, yes, they don't really have a true first a uh, true first baseman they have a true first baseman his name is freddie freeman third baseman um they still were able to get that one more big bat that may not be quite as good as donaldson but they got a guy sure. and they improved their pitching situation pretty pretty like they, they got some pretty good pitching so um i think the braves improved the most i think the Mets might be second, but the Nationals aren't that far away from the Mets either. It, the only reason why I feel like the Nats um, don't like take this is because they lost Rendon, and it's so hard to make up for that, even though they signed a bunch of guys um, to fill their bullpen out. Because um, the bullpen was obviously the big weakness for them during the season, and then they like basically avoided using it entirely in the, in the playoffs yep, yep. by like brutalizing their starting pitchers. Um, 
And so, and they had like just enough bullpen to get through and win the World Series. Uh, so I think that they're trying to mitigate that, which good for them. They signed Will Harris. Um, they signed, they brought back, um, what's his name? The, the guy that pitched in the playoffs a lot last season that I'm blanking on. Very bad. Bad of me, not that guy is bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the, the Nats improved their bullpen a lot, but obviously like that's not enough to balance the loss of Anthony Rendon, who they did not really replace. Um, so I still, I still think it's the Braves. Probably I would rank it like Braves, Mets, Nats, but like that's close. And the Phillies didn't really do much. <laughs> so, And the Marlins, of course. And the, the Marlins, Marlins are the Marlins. Yeah. Who did the Phillies even sign this offseason? That's a good question. Um, let's see. I'm like looking it up because I don't even remember who they signed. I feel like there was a big one. Oh, Anthony. Anthony Forsyth. <laughs> Logan Forsyth? They wow. did that like literally yesterday. Yeah. Oh, let's see. See, they're, they've invited so many non-roster invitees to yeah. spring training if you're scrolling through their transactions uh neil walker got a uh yeah francisco liriano odubel herrera man this is a uh, other than them. zach wheeler so okay zach wheeler's the obvious thing that the phillies did yeah we knew that oh and dd gregorius that's gregorius, the big one that's I was the one yep. they got they got gregorius so that's pretty big but like i don't think the phillies are that improved I think I'd put it Braves, Phillies, Mets, Nats. Because I don't think anything that the Phillies that the Nats did rather will make up for um for Rendon. Rendon. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about Didi Gregorius. That does make the Phillies better for sure. And obviously I, I knew that Wheeler made them better, but like they're they are like their starting pitching situation is still not super great. Um, even with Wheeler in the rotation, because they basically have Nola and Wheeler, and I mean, like Arietta come is Arietta like healthy anymore? Is he coming back? I think he's supposed to be coming back, but, but... like, who knows with him if right. he'll be healthy? And then they have, and and obviously they have like the Nick Pavetta, Zach Eflin situation which is like meh but i don't think that that rotation can stand up to what the other teams in the nl east have now obviously the phillies sure. have strengths elsewhere yeah um, being their lineup mostly uh, which is quite good uh especially now with dd gregorius in it you know, bryce harper is obviously there that's pretty good <laughs> yeah um etc so and i guess to me the question is more about are the Phillies better now than they were at the end of the season? And I would say, yes, they are. That's true. Even they if are. they're not uh, necessarily, even if they didn't do enough. Like I, I still think that even though they did more than the Mets, I well, let me put it this way. I think the Phillies are better. The Phillies improved more from the end of the season to the start of the season. But I think the right. Mets are still better than the Phillies. Yeah, and the Mets the Mets had a higher baseline right. to work with yeah. than the Phillies did. Um, not by a lot, but they did. Um, 
I think it was like which projection system came out was it a baseball reference a projection system came out the other day that had a four-way tie for the National League wild card and the <laughs> Mets and the Phillies were two were two of the four I think teams tie for the second the second wild card oh, okay. so like there was uh, I think the Nats were the first wild card and then it was a four-way tie for the second wild card and two of those teams were the other two teams in the National League East so they had Four national four of the five East teams, teams yeah. in playoff position on the last day of the season, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'll have to find. I saw it on Twitter, but I can't remember which projection it was. I think it might have been baseball reference. So uh, while you look that up, I'm just going to say uh, – for listeners of the podcast, we'll probably have one more show in February, but then Chris and I will be down in Port St. Lucie together for a couple of days at the end of the month. And I think the goal is to maybe try and do like a daily podcast while we're down there. Just, oh, that would be so fun. Just short stuff. We're seeing four games. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So look out for that stuff. Did you oh, find out who it was? USA Today. Oh, really? Yeah, it was you, and I don't think it was like an actual like projection. It was oh, okay. Here, so USA Today had like a six-person panel, and they made like aggregate projections from what the six people predicted. Okay, and so in their thing, there are four. There are four teams with eighty-five wins in the in the national league and so they all tie for the second wild card so they and they and they have a tie for the first wild card also because they have um oh no they don't they don't have a tie because that wouldn't make sense it's uh they have atlanta winning 92 games so they have atlanta winning the division and then they have the nationals with the first wild card at 88 wins and they also have the cardinals at 88 wins but they want they win the nl central and then they have the Mets, Phillies, Reds, and Diamondbacks all at 85 and 77. Wow. For a four-way tie for the second wild card, which is totally wild. And, like, it's kind of like how it was last season. Like, the, the American League is, like, super feast or famine. You obviously have, like, the, like, big teams winning. Like, they have the Yankees winning, like, 103 games and the Orioles winning 57 games. Right, yeah. Whereas the National League everybody except basically like Miami and Pittsburgh are like clustered together in like the same, like nobody, the highest win total they have is the Dodgers at 99 wins, but then like Atlanta only has 92 wins and they're the second best team. Yeah, that's, and there is, let me count the teams between. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams between 82 wins and 88 wins. Wow. <laughs> wow. This will be fun if it happens. Yeah, I, I do think the National League is a, is a relatively... Uh, I think there is a, there's relative parity in the yes, National League right now. which I like. Yeah, me too. Um, I will say, though, that as, as, as much as I like parity in theory... It's also fr- like it was nice those couple of years where the Mets were one of two or three good teams in the division. Yeah, and you got eighteen games to beat up on two different teams. 
Yeah, it's true. And like the parody does make it all the more frustrating when we're talking about these moves on the margins, like signing NRIs and making these one last moves that all of us wrote about. Like when you get when you're projected to be in a four way tie for the second wild card, literally Derek Dietrich's half a win or whatever might have been the difference. Yep. <laughs> between the playoffs and not like that's how much these little moves on the margins can matter. Uh, somebody had said to me, I forget who it was. I, I was at a, a, uh, I think it was like a holiday party or something. And somebody said to me, "Mark my words, Jed Lowry is going to put the Mets over the top." <laughs> I thought, like, all right, we'll see about that. Sure. But it's okay. actually it's actually pretty funny that a move from last off season might impact the team this season, while having zero impact on the team last season. I'm going to give my hot take, bold prediction live on the pod. Let's go for which- it which is that I think Ioannis Cespedes is going to have a higher war in 2020 than Jed Lowry. Oh, that's a fun bet. Because both are pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I think Ioannis Cespedes is going to be over one war and Jed Lowry is going to be under one war. Oh, that's okay. Here's a question for you. Mm Hmm. Well, it's a, it's a series of three questions for you. Okay. Are both Lowry and Cespedes on the opening day roster? Um, I think actually neither of them are. Are either Lowry or Cespedes on the team at the All-Star break? Either 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 they've been activated because they're healthy or they've been traded away. Like are, are they Mets still? Um, I think both of them are Mets. I think Cespedes is active and playing and Lowry's not. Okay. Are either active Mets on September first? Hmm. Both. Interesting. Okay. See, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those two gets traded to an American League team at some point. Mm, yeah, possible. True. Like if Cespedes, like, well, I said one war for the entire season. Okay. So like, okay. that's not a lot of playing time. So like, because. If if Cespedes is like, I don't, I still don't think he's going to be on the opening day roster. I think that that's a little too optimistic to think. But if he's like borderline putting up one war before the All Star break, like he might get traded. Yeah, <laughs> depending on where the Mets are at, I guess. Well, I, I just think at a certain point it becomes a, a numbers game with the the number of players they want to get playing time for. Yeah, and you know, love Cespedes to death, but he's not a center fielder anymore. And, and he's not he's probably not even a left fielder anymore. Right. Yeah. And you know, they're they're out their corners are so crowded to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And crowded by guys who are bad defenders. Yes. So you, you don't want to add another bad defender into that. And so it's, it's like, yeah, like I realize you and is already like he already had lower body issues before the calcified heels. And I mean, obviously it was like all contributing, but like his fielding skills other than his throwing arm, which still seemed fine, but his like ability to run and stuff and get to balls was declining. But like is e- even like even like limping Cespedes would be a bet is a better left fielder than J.D. Davis, I think. Or uh, Dom Smith. Or Dom Smith, who is, like, actually a disaster. <laughs> I mean, they keep saying that DH is going to come to the National League anyway. So if if Cespedes, like, proves that he's alive, just re-sign him and make him the DH. Well, I, I think they're really planning to have uh, 
Kenobi that DH. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They planned for that, I think. Mets have a lot of DH types on their team in their National League team. Hmm. Roster building. Yes, they do. It's <laughs> like Dom Smith, J.D. Davis, Ioannis Cespedes, and Robinson Cano. Oh, Robinson Cano isn't there yet. He's still a decent defender now, but like he's going to get there pretty soon. Yes. All right, Allison, it's time for our uh, music pick of the week. What is your music pick this week? So my music pick is actually connected to TV. Um, so for those of you who don't know, and you if you follow me on Twitter, you probably do because I talk about it. I don't talk about it as much as I talk about baseball, but like it's probably the TV show I talk about most. Um, my favorite TV show in the entire world is BoJack Horseman. And it just finished, like, it, the series ended. They had their, um, it's Netflix, so they release everything all at once. It's not, like, every week, like, network TV. So the final season of BoJack was in two parts. The first uh, half season of eight episodes came out, like, in October or something like that. And then they just released the second batch of eight episodes, uh, the fine, the second half of the final season of BoJack Horseman, um, on January 30th. And so I got around to watching it over the past two days and my soul is destroyed because I'm sad because this thing I love is over forever. However, there was the, in the finale, in the very last scene, which I will not spoil what is happening in the scene, but a song plays and it's called Mr. Blue by Catherine Feeney. And I didn't know the song and I really liked it. I was like, this song that's playing is really nice and like perfectly fits with the scene. And I really like the song. So I went and like looked up the song, played the song and then played a bunch of other like random songs from Catherine Feeney and really enjoyed all of them. So my music recommendation is Catherine Feeney. She's great. She has a, I think her first album is a self titled album. So I think it's just called Catherine Feeney. I might be wrong though, but what, I what sort of music is it? It's like very, uh, what does it remind me of? I had like a, I had a comparison in mind, like very like Sarah Bareillesy, but like better (laughs) in my opinion. Um, So like she's she's a singer songwriter kind of folksy, Um, you know. That's how I would call. uh, That's how I would call it. Yeah, it it, it lists her genre as folk. So the internet. So. And what was the name of the song that you heard? Uh, Mr. Blue, it's called. It was I'm, quite I'm good. sure that like everybody right now is searching this on uh, on Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, okay. It's from an album called Hurricane Glass. Yes, okay. her her first album was was self titled. Like I thought, it's called Catherine Feeney. But yeah, her the album that Mr. Blue is on is called Hurricane Glass. All right, I'll have to check that out tomorrow. I'm not familiar at all. I've also never seen an episode of BoJack Horseman. I'm ducking right now because I'm throwing things at me through the uh, <laughs> magic of Skype. But I highly um, recommend it to I, I, anyone sh- and everyone. It's a show I firmly plan to watch. Yes. But, you know, hours in the day, children, etc. Yeah, yeah, I understand. But it's, you know, they're, they're short episodes, so it's a relatively easy binge because they're 30-minute episodes instead of an hour. Um, and, you know, it's a show that, like, you know, it's a cartoon and, like, it's about a talking horse. So you like don't see the emotional blows coming when they come. And I think that makes them all the more potent when they do come because it's like and it's hilarious, too. It is it is definitely a dark comedy in every sense. Like it, there are parts of it that are like deep belly laughs, can't breathe hilarious. But 
there are some heavy, heavy topics that are dealt with in that show that it just does with such depth and poise. And I just, I don't, I could not say enough good things about BoJack Horseman. It's, it's literally my favorite show I have ever watched on television. Period. Wow. Of all time. Yep. Wow. All right. Well, I'll have to check that out tomorrow for sure. Um, so I have not been an active music writer for a long time. I, I used to write for a couple different websites doing record reviews, but just life got in the way. And so every now and then I'll publish one, but I still think of myself as a music writer. And there's an exercise going on on Twitter this month called, it's hashtag MWE Music Writers Exercise, where you're supposed to listen to an album that you have not heard in its entirety and then write a short review of it on Twitter. Um, That's very fun. Yeah, it is. And so I, you know, um, what I did was I pulled out a couple of albums that I had read about from 2019 that I had a chance to listen to before the end of the year. So I put like five songs from that. I put five albums that I have that have come out this year that I was interested in. And then the rest I pulled from, a, I have a book that I was given a number of years ago called A Thousand and One Albums You Should Hear Before You Die. And I, I, I <laughs> That's a very good book for you. Yes. Although I, I typically hate those list books. I disagree with them all the time. But I thought like, well, here's there's so much stuff in this book that I just haven't that I haven't read, but I haven't heard before, and so I just like flipped through the book, and kind of at random, and picked out 19 albums to put into this list. And every mm. morning, I use a random number generator to pick the album I'm going to listen to. That's that that's day. a good method. I like that. Uh, you know, and, and so I've listened to seven albums so far this year. Some by artists I already knew. Some by artists I didn't. But the one I want to talk about is it's an album from the mid-60s. It's by a band called The Centurions, and the album is called Surfer's Pajama Party. And it's awesome. It's a surf rock band. Uh, This is an album, actually, the reason this made the list was because um, one of their songs is used on the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. And I happened to be Uh, uh, channel surfing the other night. Pulp Fiction was on, and I watched about 10 minutes of it. And I recognized, I don't know this song. Who is this? I looked it up, and so I put it on the list. And I love surf rock. Like, uh, I joke with the, the one of the guys I play in a band with that, like, I was born 40 years too late. Like, if, if, <laughs> if I had been born in the 40s, I'd have been, like, 18, 19 around the surf rock time. And I'd have been a bass player in a surf rock band. I love surf rock. So this album is, um, it's all instrumental. It's It's a lot darker than I think. I would imagine a lot of surf rock people would like people when you hear surf rock, I think you think like walk, don't run Hawaii five Oh, that kind of stuff. And this stuff yeah, is just, yeah, yeah. it's a little bit sort of darker sounded than that. I, I really, really enjoy it. Um, and there's a, a great saxophone player in the band and the bass. And I, I, I'm a bass player. So the bass really sounds like a modern band's bass tone. I'm sort of shocked at how modern the bass sound is. So I really enjoy it. Um, the album is on Spotify, so you can find it there. It's called Surfer's Pajama Party by the Centurions. Um, so, Allison, thank you for coming on the show this week. I really appreciate it. Of course, Brian. Anytime. Uh, where can folks find you on the interwebs? I am on Twitter at PetitePhD, and you can find our podcast, our, the, the sister show to this show, um, on Twitter at A Pod of Their Own. And uh, if you haven't heard A Pod of Their Own, you're missing out. It is, it is an essential listen in my podcast rotation. 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. You can find so much more from Allison, from myself, from Chris, from the whole Amazing Avenue gang at AmazingAvenue.com. You can follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. This podcast is part of the Amazing Avenue Podcast Network, which is found on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you get podcasts, hopefully you can find this one. And uh, so we'll probably be back before spring training gets too deep underway. And uh, until then, let's go Mets.